Good morning. We praise the Lord and thank the Lord for each and every one of you that's been able to tune in with us here on Facebook and on our YouTube channel, on our Roku uh, television station. Uh, we thank the Lord for this a week that we just came out of. Uh, we had a good time in Detroit, Michigan, where we celebrated the 62nd annual Holy Convocation of the Greater Emmanuel Fellowship International. We thank the Lord for how he met us there in that city. Much was done. We were able to accomplish many things. People were delivered, healed. Baptism was had. Lives were given over and committed to Christ. We were able to be a blessing to a young man that's on his way to college. We were able to give a scholarship. And there were so many other things that we're looking forward to do as the vision of our presiding bishop, Bishop Edward Chouse, continues to go forward. We thank God for him, for his leadership, for all the College of Bishops that was there, all the speakers that came, for Bishop Celestine Todd as the host church. What a beautiful edifice and a wonderful time. I encourage you that if you have the opportunity next year, more information will be released about it, but I encourage you, go out and uh, to where the next event is going to be. Celebrate the Lord with us. Be part of what God is doing. Invest your time, your energy, your effort into seeing that the work of the Lord is completed. I also thank God for Pastor Bernard Majero, who has become a friend of mine. He's over in Africa, and we thank the Lord for him and uh, his ministry, Jatanto Covenant of Blessings Church. Jatanto is the name of the village that he uh, lives in and where the church is, and we are praying for him, and we at Grace and Mercy Fellowship Center stand with him united in the cause of Christ. And even as God has blessed us, we will do all we can to be a blessing to him. We thank the Lord for him and his faithfulness to the call of Christ, and we're looking forward to the great things that are, that are uh, going to be done. We've talked even about uh, my wife and I going there. He's talked with me about bringing us there and sponsoring us so that we could be part of the move of God in that great land. And I believe that one day we will be able to accomplish that very thing. We'll be able to stand flat-footed and deliver the word of God and see the power of God manifested in the midst of his people. So we thank God for them, and um, we know that they're about seven hours ahead of us, and if they are on or if you're on or you tune in later, know that we are praying for you. We thank God for you. We stand with you in unity. We are brothers and sisters bound together in Christ. And even the things that we've talked about, they're on their way. So we thank the Lord for you. God bless you. Last week, I shared with you that God's economy or way of doing things is basically to dispense himself or to pour himself into us by the power of the three persons or the triunity of the Godhead. 
Let me give you an example of what I was talking about that's a little bit more common to people in our current day. Electricity can be used to uh, illustrate this economy of the triunity of God. In it includes the source, the current, and the transmission. Now, when you look at these, they seem to be three different kinds of electricity, but in reality, they are one. The source, the current, and the transmission are the electricity itself. If the electricity does not exist, neither then does the source, nor the current, nor the transmission. And as there is one electricity with three different stages, so there is one God with three different manifestations. At one end is the source or the storage of electricity. And at the other end is the transmission of electricity into our homes and into our businesses. And between these places is the current. This is an example of basically the three stages of the same thing. God as the Father is our source. God as the Son is the course and the very expression of the Father. And God as the Spirit is the transmission of God into man. Remember, the cause of Christ is to put us into a position whereby we might experience the fullness of the Godhead bodily, where we might within ourselves possess the indwelling presence of all that is God. Therefore, the Father is the Spirit, the Son is also the Spirit, and the Spirit, well, of course, it's the Spirit. Now, the Father is in the Son, the Son is in the Spirit, and the Spirit is in us. And it is the very transmission of God, constantly transmitting all that God is and all that God has in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, the Spirit is the all-inclusive dose that we need. And if you're taking notes today, which I strongly encourage that you do, you can give a title to this sermon, Our Needed Daily Dose. In these modern days in which we live, man has perfected many drugs in the field of medicine. And I say medicine on purpose. Now, some drugs are composed of a great number of elements and can be dispensed into one single dose. And in just one dosage, some of the elements can destroy germs. They can, at the same time, relax nerves in the body. And still other elements can nourish and refresh the body. This is an all-inclusive dosage of medicine. Have you ever imagined that the Holy Spirit is really the best dose in the whole world? Just one dose is all you need to meet everything you will ever have need of. Because all that the Father and the Son are, are encapsulated in the Spirit. All that the Father and the Son are and all that they have are in the Spirit. Think about how many elements are within this dosage of God. 
God's divine nature, his human nature, his human living with its earthly sufferings, the wonderful effectiveness of his death, his resurrection, his ascension, and now his enthronement at the right hand of God. We, we, we cannot imagine what kind of dose this is in its fullness, yet praise the Lord, every day we get to enjoy it. No scientist or medical doctor on earth could analyze the, the fullness of this type of dosage of God. This is the economy of God, which is nothing else but God dispensing himself into us. It's not so much a matter of learning doctrines. When I was young, my father taught me that you know, all the doctrines you know, about various dispensations in, in human history according to the Bible. He took time to instill in me the dispensations and explain to me what the dispensations were. I was taught that there were at least seven dispensations as listed in scripture. But strictly speaking, my father also taught me that there is truly only one dispensation which we need. And that's the dispensation of God himself. The 66 books of scripture are uh, a full record of this one dispensation, the dispensing of God into us, everything that makes up God. Hear me, Zion. Doctrine is good. Doctrine is necessary. But what is of most importance to the life of a believer, to the success in this life, is enjoying the outpouring of God alive in us. Our true focus should be on uh, the outpouring of the Spirit of God upon us rather than doctrinal debates that often mean nothing in the long run. Are you weak in faith? Are you overcoming your flesh? Well, I'm here to tell you that the master physician has prescribed a dose for you, and it's a phenomenal dose. It's a dose that will strengthen you with might and divine power. Are you troubled by everything that you see and the things that you hear? The cure is in this one dose. One dose of the Holy Spirit will cure all your troubles. When I was much younger than I am now, I was taught by my father that I've been crucified with Christ. and That I must then, because I'm crucified with him, reckon or see myself as dead. I have to believe and see and understand myself as a dead man that is alive in the power of another. So when I was much younger, from morning until evening, I was on the alert, trying to put into practice what I was taught, seeing myself as dead. But the more I tried to see myself that way, the more I became alive. I, I could not make it work because I was using the wrong formula. Then one day the Lord opened my eyes to what my father was trying to tell me that I could see that the reality of his death is not in me seeing myself as dead, but in seeing and enjoying the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. As a matter of fact, this formula is found in Scripture. It's revealed in the book of Romans in the 8th chapter. You see, Romans, the 6th chapter, gives us uh, the definition but Romans, the eighth chapter, gives the reality of the death of Christ 
because the effectiveness of Christ's death is in the Holy Spirit. And the more that we fellowship with Christ and the Holy Spirit, the more we will be slain in the flesh. I was taught to crucify my flesh. I'm sure that many of you have heard this very phrase, crucify your flesh, crucify it daily. And you've run out of the church with this revelation only to get home and ask yourself, how do I do that? Well, the more I fellowship with the Holy Spirit, the more I found the things of my flesh dead and put under the authority of God. You see, the dose of the all-inclusive Holy Spirit contains a killing agent. There's no need to reckon ourselves dead when we are in the Holy Spirit because we are alive in him. So when I had issues with others in the past, I tried to die to the emotional impact of the, the very thing giving rise to the issue which was causing my feeling in my humanity to be negative or to lead me to bitterness or hatred. And I struggled with this. And the more I reckoned myself dead to my emotions born out of my human condition, the more I hated whom I had issue with. But when I was filled with the Holy Ghost, I knew the killing power to put to death the deeds of my flesh was alive within me. And it was killing my hatred. It was destroying my bitterness. It was removing my pride. You see, automatically, love mingled with tears welled up from my heart for people who did me wrong. What was this? This was the killing agent, that element in the power of the presence of God, in the revelation of his love resulting from the effectiveness of the death of Christ being manifested in me in the spirit of God. You see, within this spirit of Jesus, there is an all-sufficient supply. Now, the word supply in Philippians, the first chapter in the 19th verse, is a special word. It's a Greek word that refers to the bountiful or all-inclusive supply. So the spirit of Jesus is an all-inclusive supply in which all of our needs are met. Well, what is it that, that we need? We need comfort. No one can truly comfort us, not even our children, our parents, or our loved ones to the effect of God. Real comfort, lasting comfort, comes from the indwelling presence of the Spirit of Jesus alive in us. When we fellowship with Jesus in his spirit and when we live in this wonderful spirit, we automatically have inward comfort or inward peace. Regardless of what's going on in the environment outside of us, there is inward rest and peace. We may say to ourselves, I don't know what to do. I need guidance. Well, I'm here to tell you that living guidance is only found in the indwelling presence of the Holy Ghost. And when we fellowship with the Lord and walk in the Holy Spirit, we will spontaneously have inward light for the guidance that we need, acknowledging the Lord in everything and receiving the guidance of each and every step that we are to take. Everything, including guidance, is found in the Holy Spirit. 
Today, he is in us as the all-inclusive dose of the Godhead in its entirety. We need not ask or even cry. We only need to take him, enjoy him, and give his name praise. When we are weak, let us go to the Lord declaring, I give you praise, Lord. Even in the situation that I'm in, even in my weakness, even in my failings, I glorify your name. Because when we contact him in praise, we will see what a wonderful spirit he is. And the power of his indwelling presence is in us. The all-sufficient supply, the bounty necessary to meet our every need. So let your fellowship with the Spirit of God in the middle of your crisis lead you to praise. Let your Judah go before everything else. Too many doctrines in Christianity are distracting the people of God from God himself, causing us to miss the mark of the way God truly does things. What is this mark? It is simply the all-inclusive Holy Spirit dwelling in our human spirit. During the day, we need to learn how to contact him and to fellowship with him and to follow him in all that we do. We need to learn how to fellowship and deal with him. Religion and doctrine teach us to deal with form and fashion and tradition and regulation. Even the scriptures are often read in a wrong way since little or no contact is ever made with the Holy Ghost in the reading of his word. We merely learn doctrines in black and white. We need to read the scriptures by exercising the spirit of God in us so that we can contact the Holy Spirit and gain from this fellowship the full understanding and the clarity necessary even for the things that we've just read. Not by using our eyes to see the words on the page or uh, exercising in our minds merely uh, to understand its teachings. From morning to evening, we must deal with the one that's dwelling in us for he is the bountiful supply of the Lord Jesus. There are people that tell you today, that the Holy Spirit is not something that, that you need. It's not something that God is doing in this day that we're, we're out of the time or out of the day uh, of the need or the necessity for the Holy Spirit. They teach you falsely. John 14 and 23 says that the Father and the Lord will come to make their abode where? With us. Well, what does this mean? Have you ever, ever experienced the Father and the Son coming to make their abode with you? You see, this is the mark of God's economy, which I've been talking about last week and even now. This abode is two-sided. The Father and the Son will become our abode. But it doesn't stop there. We will become their abode. It is a mutual abiding how can this mutual abiding be possible? Only as we are in the spirit of God. Just as the father and the son are in the spirit, we can experience this mutual abiding together. When we are in the spirit, we are abiding in the son and in the father. And we're doing this at the same time. 
and they also are abiding in us. And only then will we have an intimate communion or fellowship with the Father and the Son. We, you know, we will have a, 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 an inward talking. We will talk with the Lord and the Lord will talk with us. These are the practical experiences of the mutual abiding of God with us and us with God. You won't be seen as crazy because no one can see your conversation but you, Jesus, God, and the Holy Ghost. You see, the Spirit is the inner life, but it's also our outer clothing. You ought to jot that down. The Spirit is our inner life, but also our outer clothing. You see, the Lord is also the spirit of life within us. Even as water that refreshes or strengthens and fills us with this uh, inner life. John 7, 37 through 39 talks about this. The Lord as the Holy Spirit is likened also unto clothing. In Luke 24 and 49, the word for put on in the Greek is translated are clothed with. Now, clothing indicates power and authority. Now, let me describe this to you uh, uh, just a little bit with something that's a little bit more uh, common to us today. Today, when anyone is performing an official act, they typically wear a uniform. Now, suppose we should see a police officer standing on the street in plain clothes. That's outside of his uniform. Nobody recognizes him as the police. He's lost his authority because he lacks his uniform. And when we see a police officer in uniform while we're driving, we suddenly become very cautious and careful drivers. Because when he wears his uniform, he is clothed with authority. Now the Holy Spirit within you is the supply of God's life in you. And the Holy Spirit externally is your uniform of authority. So when we are clothed with him, we have the highest authority in the universe. After the resurrection, the Lord came to his disciples and the Bible tells us in John 20, 21 through 22 that he breathed on them. He called that very breath the Holy Spirit because he himself is the Holy Spirit. Now, whatever comes out of him must be the Holy Spirit. And we know that the breath is something that deals with life and something that's necessary for life. So the Lord's breathing of the Holy Spirit into the disciples was the imparting of his spirit of life into them. Now, one, uh, on the day of the resurrection, all the disciples received the spirit of life within them. Now, I hear you. You're going, wait a second. How did they receive the spirit of God in them when the Bible talks about Pentecost as being the day that they received? You see, what they received in this moment of resurrection is the inner drinking of the water of life. But at that time... They were without power and authority. You see, the uniform hadn't been put on yet. 
So the Lord tells them to wait, Luke 24 and 49, until he had ascended to the heavens to become enthroned as the head and the authority of the universe. For everything in the moment of his ascension was placed under his feet. It was by his ascension and his, and his very enthronement at the right hand of God the Father that he gained the position to pour himself down in the power of the Holy Spirit as the outward authority. So on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came down. But the Bible doesn't say it came down as life, Acts 1 and 8. It says it came down as power. So on the day of the resurrection, which is the day of life, the Holy Spirit came out of the Lord and entered the disciples as the breath of life, even as God entered into the life of Adam as the breath of life. But on the day of Pentecost, which is the day of power, the Holy Spirit came from the ascended and enthroned head and equipped the disciples with the authority needed for service. You see, this is the Holy Spirit of power as the uniform presence of God externally. So when a police officer is preparing to go on duty, you might wonder what he does usually before going to start his day. Well, I know many police officers and many of them share with me that they drink several cups of coffee and they may grab a couple donuts in which to refresh and strengthen them for their duty. But will they, by filling themselves up with coffee and donuts, be qualified to perform the duty as a police officer? If they merely go out into the street without their uniform on declaring, I'm full of coffee and I'm full of donuts, so now I am the police. No one will respect them. They would say, that person's lost their mind, they're crazy. Though he is a real police officer, yet without the uniform, he lacks the authority. But when he puts on the uniform, he is then equipped with the power that comes from the uniform. Then when he goes out onto the street, everyone sees him and recognizes him as a man or woman of authority. We cannot despise this uniform. This uniform represents the authority of the government for which they serve. On the other hand, if the police officer drank nothing in the morning, he would be weak. He, couldn't, he could put on his uniform and exercise his, posi his position of authority, but he would have no inward strength or refreshment. Hear what I'm saying to you today, people of God. There are some Christians who are filled within, but they're without the uniform. And there are other Christians who are wearing the proper uniform, but they're empty within. You see, we can't have one or the other. We need both the inward filling and the outward equipping. We need the Holy Ghost of the resurrection day as life within us. And we need the Holy Ghost of the day of Pentecost 
as the power of God that is upon us. The filling of the Holy Ghost is necessary inwardly. The clothing of the Holy Spirit is also necessary outwardly. You see, if we have both aspects, we will experience the blessed mingling together of us with God, within and without. And who is the Spirit? Remember that the Spirit is the reality of the triunity of the Godhead alive in us. So as we are filled and clothed with the Holy Spirit, we are then mingled with the triune God. This is the mark of the way God does things. This is the manifestation of God in and through us. And we need to pay close attention to this mark of God's way and not to just mere doctrine. Some try to argue uh, about doctrines. They say, what about the rapture? Many Christians are troubled about post-tribulation rapture, pre-tribulation rapture, uh, partial rapture, a midway rapture, and all whatever else you've heard. But listen, as long as you love the Lord and have accepted him as your Lord and Savior and live according to his teaching, when he comes back, guess what? You're going to be raptured. You see, for me... That's good enough. Let's forget about doctrines for a while and learn to just love Jesus. Let us aim at the mark of his economy. Deal with the living Christ and the Holy Ghost and be filled and clothed at the same time with him. Some argue about eternal security, but the real security is simple. Our security is Jesus. Not the teaching of, of eternal security. As long as we have Jesus, we have security. If we do not have Jesus, you have no security. You see, the doctrine of eternal security is not Christ. Doctrine only works divisions among the people of God. God did not send his son to separate or divide the body. If we love Christ, walk by the living power and presence of God in us and do not emphasize my way is better than your way, we will be one with every believer. But the more that we talk about doctrines, the more we're going to quarrel. And today, while we talk about the Holy Spirit, this, this wonderful dose of God in us, we all say amen. Hallelujah. Give God glory. We can all agree the necessity of God living in us. But tomorrow, if we talk about eternal security or some other doctrinal thing, we might declare one to another, I'm sorry, I cannot agree with you. I cannot stand with you, even though we're brothers and sisters of the one self-same God. Immediately we will be divided and this means that we will have missed the mark of the calling of Christ. We will be teaching things which only raise question rather than concentrating our full attention upon the way God actually does things. The mark of his economy. What is this mark? It is the Father in the Son and the Son in the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit in us. Even uh, more people still argue about baptism. 
For some uh, instance, you know, some try to convince others by insisting on sprinkling rather than dunking. Some say that it's Jesus' name. Some say it's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And this is all really a matter of doctrine and not a matter of the spirit of the living God. We must learn to grasp one thing and to be grasped by that one thing. And that one thing is Jesus himself. We have to learn how to grasp Christ in the Holy Spirit and be grasped by the Holy Spirit. Now, we can certainly receive help from doctrine. Doctrine is necessary for it teaches us the things of God. But the main center of God's economy is not doctrine. It's the spirit of God imparted or dispensed in us. You see, the spirit is the life-giving, liberating, transforming spirit. And if we contact this living one uh, in the wonderful power and presence of the Holy Ghost throughout the entirety of our day, I'm here to tell you three things will happen to you within. First, the life-giving spirit will impart life into you. 2 Corinthians 3 and 6. So whenever we contact this wonderful spirit, we will have the inner refreshing, the inner strengthening, the inner satisfying, and the inner enlightening necessary to carry us through the day. You see, these are the indications that Jesus as life is being imparted more and more into us. We may have been a Christian for more than uh, 80 years, yet we still need the Christ of God as the life-giving spirit imparting himself, dispensing himself, dosing us with himself, refreshing us, strengthening us, satisfying us, filling us to an overflow. This wonderful spirit is within us to impart Christ as our supply. Second, the Holy Spirit will continually liberate you many oppressions and depressions uh, of the day tend to weaken us and sometimes a, a person's long face will depress you sometimes your wife may not feel well and when you arrive home from work she may become unhappy with you later if you should come to a meeting or be around other people, you will appear with a long face. And people are going to ask you, what happened to you? What's wrong with you? And you're going to say, nothing. You see, you dare not tell them that you and your wife you know, are having an issue and that your wife's emotional status has influenced you. It's causing you to act outside of the inner peace that God has given. Because this is really just a little matter and it can, it can be suppressed and it can be depressed. However, if you contact the Spirit of God in you, He will immediately liberate you. You will transcend far above the insignificance of your human issue and all the depression will be underneath your feet. You will be liberated to the throne in the third heaven. Many times when I was prepared to come to a church service, something would happen. 
but I learned the lesson. I said, Lord, I am in the heavens. I will not be disturbed by all these things. If we are in the Holy Spirit, we will be able to transcend because in this power and presence of God in us are the wonderful elements of his ascension and transcendency. So when we are in him, the very elements of him liberate us in all the issues of our day. And finally, while he imparts life and he liberates us, the Holy Ghost transforms us. 2 Corinthians 3 and 18 says, We all with unveiled face, beholding and reflecting like a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, even as from the Lord. You see, in this verse, the word transformed is rendered as changed in the King James Version, but in the Greek, it is the same word that we find in Romans 12 and 2, be transformed by the renewing of the mind. So to be transformed does not mean merely to be changed outwardly, but it changed both in nature within and in form without. As we behold and reflect like a mirror the glory of the Lord, we are transformed into the Lord's image from one stage of glory to another stage of glory. And when a mirror beholds anything, it reflects what it beholds. But if a mirror is veiled, its face is not open. Even if it beholds an object, it cannot reflect what it is seeing because of the veil. If we are unveiled uh, or if we are an unveiled mirror, we will reflect Christ by beholding him. You see, this is the process of transformation. The Lord is the spirit transforming us within. We have a lot of outwardly transformed believers. They look like on the outside, but on the inside, they're far from God. And although we are natural and even sinful, the spirit transforms our natural image into his glorious image. And during the day, if we live in the spirit, he will transform us by renewing our mind, our, uh, renewing our emotions, and, and renewing our will. By saturating our mind, saturating our emotion, and saturating our will with himself. He will occupy all the inward parts of our being. Our love, our hatred, our desires, our choices, our decisions will bear his image instead of our own we will be transformed into his image from glory to glory that is uh, you know, today we are transformed into the first stage of his glory tomorrow we are transformed into the second stage of his glory and the third day we are transformed into the third day of his glory and as every day passes every day the glory is increased in us because this is the economy of God. This is the aim 
theme of his way. We are uh, to express God by God dispensing himself into us, mingling uh, us with himself that we might reflect his glory. Then we can express who he is. We as the children of God must be faithful to this aim. Hold fast to this mark and go on to reach his goal. For far too long, we've struggled between what it is to be a believer. We've struggled with how to allow ourselves to reflect God in what we do. Am I saying that your humanity doesn't have a place to express itself? That's exactly what I'm saying. You see, your human condition should only be expressed through the human experience of Jesus. That means that even as Christ, the word of God declares was touched with every infirmity, was tempted yet without sin, responded to life and everything that is in life, tribulation, distress, suffering, But when you look at what Jesus did and you apply it to what you do, when you look at the way Jesus spoke and you apply it to the way you speak, when you look at what Jesus thought and you apply it to the way you think, are you a reflection of the indwelling presence and power of the Godhead in its entirety? Or have you mingled your spiritual position in God with your human condition? Defiling the very presence of your own image before man. I'm learning day by day to try harder and harder to not focus on my humanity. But to focus on the humanity of Christ that is in me. This is how I die to self, by not seeing man in my human condition, but by seeing men through the eyes of Christ that I might deal with them and I fail daily and I try harder the next day to deal with humanity as the reflection of Christ. And as every day passes, the more I focus on Jesus, alive in me, I am transformed in the renewing of my mind to reflect the life and the power and the presence of God in us, of God in me. I'm praying for you, people of God, 
that you would grab a hold of the way that God does things, that you would recognize that God just wants to pour himself out into you so that you can enjoy what it is to be filled with who he is. I pray the Lord's blessing upon you. I declare his peace over you. May he keep you in the bounty of his protection. May his grace be sufficient and his love overwhelming. Have a great Sunday. God bless you.